You want to find your tribe of raving fans. And that's just what we're here to help you do. This is the Digging Deep Podcast with 360 Media, where we help entrepreneurs build better businesses by not only sharing insights and candid conversations, but by nurturing our minds as well. Get ready to explore, plan, and showcase your business, because here we go. Here's your host, Chief Strategist of 360 Media and Educator at TacticalProgram.com, Justin Lamb. Hey, everybody. This Welcome to another episode of Digging Deep, where I help business owners build better businesses. And today I'm being joined by the amazing, and I mean really, truly amazing, Aaron Bentley, a relationship coach and workshop leader who's been in the business for 15 years or more. Uh, she is one of very few relationship coaches that I've met uh, that has a PhD at her level uh, and is actively working and not set stuck in uh, in school. So uh, I'm really excited to dig a little bit deeper about relationships and how, you know, we are as humans uh, thrive on that interaction and, you know, the things that hold us back. So thank you, Erin, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on, Justin. So Erin, tell me a little bit about uh, what got you into this particular uh, industry and niche. Mm, goodness. Uh, well, I will uh, just uh, amend one thing that you said in my intro. That, that was a super kind uh, intro. Thank you, Justin. Uh, I finished my master's degree at the University of British Columbia in uh, 2004 and headed off to Toronto. I did my PhD with a big academic scholarship and got about 70% of the way through and was just like, I don't want to be a professional academic. And I made a choice at that time to focus 100% on my business, which is where it began. So at some point I may circle back and I got 70% of the way through. So I may circle back and finish that final 30 to finish the PhD, but I have not as yet graduated with a PhD in sociology, but I still have a real passion for the work and I use it all the time, of course, in my work. So it sort of segues really nicely into the question, how did I start doing this? Uh, I was a grad student in Toronto at uh, York University, working on a PhD in sociology. And um, as, a, as, a, as an interesting, something came across my radar, uh, you know, doing Reiki training. And I'd always been interested in doing Reiki, but it had always been cost prohibitive. I was living in Vancouver when I first heard about it. And I was like, oh, I feel kind of drawn to do that. But I was like, oh, this is two, $300 per module. I'm a student. I can't afford that. Long story short, this was very affordable. It was a little grassroots community organization in Toronto called Angen. Angen.com is the website for people in the Toronto area who want to check out their workshops and, and offerings found uh, or rather was directed or guided to uh, the perfect teacher. That's a longer story that you and I can have over drinks. But, uh, and, and got certified as a Reiki master. I started seeing clients. I put up a shingle, uh, just doing this very part-time. I was still in school. I was still a teaching assistant. I was doing this on the side. And it just really grew from there because I was doing, you know, Reiki sessions with clients. And in the debrief, I was moving right into coaching just very organically, you know, talking about what had come up in the session. And so that's where my coaching career began. I had been teaching, however, since I was 16. I've been teaching something. I've been teaching swimming lessons. Um, and the part of that, I guess, that segues onto this work is, you know, teaching those kids that are terrified. Like, I would go home some days with bruises on my shoulders because the kids had been, like, little kids were so scared. They were holding onto me so tight, they would leave me with bruises. And uh, I always said, if you can teach somebody something they're terrified to learn, you can teach anything. And I, for some reason, I just, I had a way of connecting with uh, with children who were deeply afraid of the water, with adults who were 40, 50, 60 years of age and some their kid had bought them swimming lessons so they could finally learn to swim and get over their fear of the water. I had I just had a way of connecting with people who were very, very afraid of that medium uh, and to connect with them quickly and to move them quickly through their fear and to the other side. And for me, that's a core skill in coaching. 
if you're going to move the needle on whatever it is, on business, on relationships, on money mindset, whatever it is that you're, as a coach, you're there to serve your clients with, you are going to have to help people walk through their fear. And, and so I've been doing that since I was 16 and then into university and starting to study pedagogy, the science of how people learn best, how teaching is done. How do you create transformation in a classroom? For example, around, you know, teaching students about residential schools, right? Teaching students about anti-racism, teaching students about the histories of enslaved Africans in the Americas. How do you take students who have no connection to those histories um, and, and create deliberately, as Kevin Kimishiro says, he's a critical um, pedagogical expert in the US. How do you create crisis in the classroom? Not trauma, crisis. How do you create a crisis that leads to transformation? Well, that is also for me a core skill as a coach is how do you create a container for a mini crisis like, like in a crucible? You put some stuff inside a crucible, you superheat the crucible, the original chemical bonds break down and new matter, new, new substances like brass can be formed. And that for me, that's transformational coaching. So that I've been studying you know, well over 30 years. I've been teaching something for over 30 years. And for me, as the way that I coach, that teaching background and that love of teaching and loving understanding how to get inside those barriers like fear, like resistance, like disappointment, like shame and guilt we have about not being where we think we should be in relationship or in business. Those are, those are core skills uh, that help me get to deliver, you know, transformational results for my client. Absolutely. It's so amazing. Uh, and, and as humans, I think a lot of us really dwell in fear. I mean, I think a lot of uh, all, our, all of our limitations and all of the things that, you know, um, hold us back for our potential actually reside in fear. Uh, but uh, with that, there is also a part of it where there is uh, not negligence, but more so like uh, not not neglect, but probably more so an abandonment uh, or or trying to convince ourselves that it doesn't exist, you know, overlooking it, uh, brushing it under the rug. Now, for those people who you know, may listen to this, they're like, well, you know, I, I have no fear or, you know, I, there, there's validation to my fear. And, you know, oftentimes there is some sort of validation, but I, in, in my opinion, there, there's always that, that little bit that it's giving us a way out. It's giving us a way to back out of that, that, um, that scenario, that situation that we're in, uh, in your experience, you know, how can a person say, recognize, you know, what is, truly real and what is being fictitiously created within our mind, because, you know, the mind is so powerful that way. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it, part of it boils back to neuroscience, right? Like we know about the brain, which is, I think, actually still frightfully little in fairness. So what we actually understand about how the brain operates is, is still uh, just a fraction of, of what's actually happening between our ears. But, um, you know, our brain evolved, evolutionarily speaking, with a single purpose, just one, right? And that's to keep you alive. Right. So your brain is scanning for risk, right? It's scanning for risk all the time, unless we give it a different job, as John Kabat-Zinn would say. And so that scanning for risk is, is, is a survival need. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that is, you know, survival is based on that fear of, you know, loss of life and limb loss or loss of family, kin, community, tribe, and so forth. That's, that's a survival need and it's evolutionary. It's evolutionary biology and neurobiology. And so part of, part of the fear is, is you know, part of the hardware we're working with, right? Is scanning for risk, again, unless we get a different job. Um, so I think that you know, our, our desire to avoid the fear 
and fears that are very much a part of being human, both real and perceived, is, is a really excellent question because our nervous system did not evolve to be able to discern the difference between threat to life and limb and say an emotional threat of rejection, an emotional threat of betrayal, an emotional threat of losing face, right? So the nervous system, those register very much as threats to life and limb as well. And so, you know, our nervous system evolved over so, so many millennia to be able to protect us from threats to survival, like physical survival, it will need subsequent more millennia before it can learn to discern between a threat to say, losing face, being embarrassed, going home and telling my spouse, you know, actually my, my net income for this year is, is far lower than I thought it would be. We, we can't go on that vacation, right? And feeling that shame, the fear of that kind of a scenario versus a fear of being chased through the woods by a bear, um, a hunger, hunger bear. So it's going to take millennia more before we actually can learn to discern that. I mean, there's some, there's some hacks, there's some ways out of this and, and certainly coaching support through a business coach such as yourself can help people to identify a scarcity mindset to identify what are the lineages, what are the money mindsets and money narratives and stories that I inherited in my family, right? That are informing my scarcity mindset, for example. And um, so I, I think that, you know, again, working with a coach like yourself is one of the ways to fast track our ways out of that. But uh, if you have, if I have a moment for a story, the best, the best anecdote I've ever heard about how to deal with fear comes from the Buddhist teacher, uh, Pema Chodron. Stop me if you've heard this one. Uh, she tells a story about a warrior, a soldier. She's in a school for soldiers. And this, this young lady is, I mean, she is like a savant of a warrior. She masters the long sword, the short sword, the long bow, the short bow, the lance, the horse, you know, hand-to-hand combat, combat with a weapon, without tactics, strategy, you know, being a general, placement of troops. She can do it all. And she is just, she's just, she takes it in like she's just breathing. And so one day her, uh, her Sifu comes to her and says, you know, you've learned everything I have to teach you. Uh, I'm ready to send you out in the world to make your fortune. But there's one more adversary you have to do battle with. And she bows obediently because she's, she's an obedient trainee. And she says, who, who must I face in the arena, Sifu? And he says, you must do battle with fear. Put on your armor, take up your sword, and come to the arena. Fear is waiting for you there. And she bows automatically and he leaves. And then she starts to realize what she's just agreed to, right? She's like, wait a minute, what did I just say yes to? Um, how can I defeat fear? No one can defeat fear. It's, it's impossible, but she's, she's done, she does as she's told. She puts on her armor and her weapons and, and she's starting to shake. She can hear this roaring coming from the arena. She's trying to put her sword in the sheath and, and it's, it's shaking. She has a hard time uh, putting it in the scabbard. But she manages to put one foot in front of the other. She walks across the training yard, and then she goes. She hears. She comes to you know to the arena. She sees the long tunnel, and the light at the end of it. And she can hear this this indescribable, inhuman shrieking, roaring, and the ground is shaking, right, with these banging footsteps of fear stomping in the sands of the arena. And she finally she comes out into the light. She looks up. Fear is so large; it's blotting out the sky. And shrieking, multiple arms, horrible faces, weapons in its hands covered with the gore of its previous victims. It's, her mouth goes dry, her heart stops beating in her chest, and she desperately wants to run away. But her training kicks in, and she continues to walk to the center of the arena, and she stops just in front of fear. And for a moment, she lowers her sword and sh- her shield, and she bows to fear. 
and suddenly fear gets very still. And leans back and looks at this soldier carefully and says in a much more moderate voice, you are the first of your brethren ever to come into this arena and bow before me as if to an equal. Your brethren have pretended a courage that they did not feel and blustered and sworn at me, but I defeated them. Others have shrieked and shaming their families and their teachers run away from me, but I found them in the end. But you are the first to bow to me as if to an equal. And so I'm going to teach you the secret of how to defeat me. No matter what I threaten you with, you, your family, your loved ones, your kin, your lineage, no matter how horrible, how frightening, if you do not do what I tell you to do, then I can never defeat you and you will always be victorious over me. If you do not do what I tell you to do, then I can never defeat you and you will always be victorious over me. When I tell that story in workshops, you could hear a pin drop. Because fear is gonna be there. It's the unwanted guest at the party, right? But we can be courteous hosts. We can pull up a chair, take its coat, offer it a drink, listen politely. So when fear says there's no way, you can't, you shouldn't, you should make a list of the reasons why you should or how you can. When fear says there's no way, you better believe that you are the way. So dealing with fear means not necessarily going to war with it, but sitting with it, listening to what it's telling us, and then making a choice about the next right action. Fantastic answer. And and I, I really applaud that because, you know, in the work that we do uh, with, with clients, we do tell them that fear is, you know, as, as, apparent or as present with you as you want it to be mm -hmm. um, you know if you imagine it's big and scary your mind doesn't know any different it will only take it as big and scary and if you don't think of it that way it will only be whatever you decide to perceive it as and that becomes huge i think when a person finally clues in and finally gets it for that moment mm -hmm. they realize how much they sit in fear uh, and and with that um you know, what was interesting, you know, in, in that story, I love, I love the, the, the sort of the poetic nature of, of how it's put together. It's so much more eloquent than I could possibly ever have produced uh, in the short amount of time. But, um, you know, when we talk about fear, uh, you know, I use a, uh, an accountability partner. I tell people that they need an accountability partner because, you know, generally when we're in it, we don't recognize it. And it takes another person who's seeing the, the things that are transpiring in front of us uh, to kind of tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, you're entering that tunnel going into the arena. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, what are your thoughts about having an accountability partner versus like a coach or, you know, can they be interchanged? What, what things in your experience as a coach, um, you know, helping people through this, do you offer if, you know, a person wants to start down that road, making the right habits to, to kind of make for that change in their life? Mm -hmm. Well, it's such a great question, Justin. I mean, I think that with, uh, with the right coach, they can absolutely, you know, play in addition to other things, the role of an accountability partner, but I don't believe that coaching should be limited to that. Um, I think that with our coaching clients, we really have, we really see them in some ways that they're most vulnerable. 
and we have an opportunity to do more than simply hold people accountable or goal set. These are not unimportant, right? But they don't get underneath the reasons why people don't take the steps to achieve their goals. Everybody has goals, right? People have results, right? So I think, you know, having an accountability partner is, is important and we have to choose our accountability partners, be they coaches or others, quite carefully. So it's a little bit like looking for a romantic partner. This is something I tell uh, the participants in my Breakthrough the Single Cycle group coaching program for women, um, where I, I work with uh, online group coaching to help people break through a cycle of repeated breakups, is we're too focused on looking for qualities in a partner, right? You could substitute accountability partner quite handily here. We're looking for the qualities in an accountability partner or a romantic partner. Now, I'm not saying we need to do away with certain qualities. Somebody's a good listener, somebody who gives good feedback, uh, somebody who holds us accountable, reminds us what we've said we're going to do. Romantic partner ideally should do this as well. However, when you look at somebody's qualities, you have a snapshot of who they are now. But if you want an accountability partner for the long term, if you want a romantic partner for the long term, we have to stop looking only for qualities and we have to start evaluating for qualifications. Because in business, as in romantic relationship or familial dynamics, if you are talking about fear, you must also talk about shame. Because we have shame about our fears, don't we? It's one of the reasons we avoid dealing with our fear. Because fear is stressful, yes, but if you hook somebody up, to, to stress response detectors in the body. Shame is the most stressful emotion that we know of. It's even more stressful than fear, than rage, than grief and loss, right? It's, it just, it'll send your stress response just off the charts compared to other emotions, other unwanted emotions. So if we're gonna talk about fear, we also have to talk about how we have shame about our fears. And that's why we avoid dealing with our fears. We turn away, we sweep it under the rug. We wanna deal with anything but that in part because we often are ashamed of having our fears because we feel we shouldn't have them. But how can we not? Nothing is more human than to have fear. It's wired into us evolutionarily, biologically speaking. So we're also gonna to have to have somebody who's qualified at times to hold space for our shame. I think Dr. Brené Brown does a magnificent job of laying out in uh, her book, Gifts of Imperfection, what are the qualifications of somebody who actually can hold space for you when you're grappling with demons of shame and the attendant demons of fear, right? And moving through the one in order to address the root issues of the other. So thinking about the qualifications of your accountability partner in this regard, specifically with regard to dealing with emotions like fear and shame, you know, they this person has to be a person who themselves is comfortable holding space for their own vulnerability or they're not gonna be able to hold space for yours. Right. And if anything, they're going to make your shame appear possibly worse. They're going to make you want to bottle it up more or never talk about it again. And so, you know, you can't support somebody else. You can't hold a space, make a container for somebody else to, to sit with their fear if you have not sat with your own. Well, how do we evaluate for that? Well, we do that through discussion and dialogue. Uh, and these skills, I think we're seeing that these skills in the coaching industry are becoming, uh, it's becoming understood that it's essential that we have the capacity to hold space for our clients' difficult and wanted emotions, 
because if we can't do that, we can we will get them so far, but no further. You will see change, but you will not see transformation, right? And I think when clients are paying high coaching rates for business coaching or relationship coaching, they deserve transformation, not just change. That's so true. I think, you know, when we're talking about a coach and, and they're sitting there with you in that space, if that person doesn't have the emotional capacity, has not dealt with their own demons, especially in, in the same avenue that, you know, you're currently experiencing and having issues and difficulty with, um, it becomes a matter of projection. If we can say, like, uh, we can extrapolate that to, say, Dr. Shivali's work, um, you know, in conscious parenting, you know, we talk about, um, you know, in that moment of their fear, you're projecting on your own fear onto that. And so you're adding kerosene to the fire, which causes that individual to shut down. You, that, that stress response doesn't, doesn't null itself because you're telling us like, well, no, you should totally do this. And, 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 and instead of holding space and being present with the individual and listening and sitting there, um, you know, your energy amplifies and, and you know, we talk about Reiki being uh, a body work of energy. If you are amplifying that energy, you can sure as heck believe that your client is feeling that. I mean, you know, we could look at children, you know, how many times as an, uh, as a parent, you know, mm -hmm. you're agitated, frustrated. Um, you just had a bad day. It's nothing to do with the child, nothing to do with whatever they've done for that moment, but you're projecting onto them all the stresses and they feel it. They don't even have to look at you. They can just be present in the room. They'll go, you know, mommy or daddy, like, are you okay? Are you not happy? Um, you know, and it's, you know, if, if you say, don't understand as a coach, you know, how to, you know, absorb, take in and dissipate the energy, uh, you know, you're, you're only going to project that back onto your client. So it is really important that, you know, we, we advise, you know, potential, you know, candidates, prospects, you know, clients um, that when they're going to find a coach, they should find somebody who's either walked the walk, um, mm -hmm. you know, and gone through it to some degree, because, you know, you can, you can only teach or guide them so far as you've come. And, you know, I know that there's a school of thought is like, well, you know, as long as I'm a few steps ahead of you, that's okay. But sometimes if you're not completed that last step and you guys get stuck in the rut together, um, mm -hmm. you can very well lead to a disastrous response because then you guys are both stuck in spinning wheels and both of you guys will need the tow truck to get you out of the weeds. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, as coaches, then that's when we need to step back and lean on our communities. Like who are our accountability partners as coaches, right? Who do we go to for support? Um, you know, because I mean, let's, let's just name it. There's a, there's a dirty underbelly to our, our industry, Justin, it's called imposter syndrome. Right. And that will stop us. It'll stop us in our own shame sometimes, in our own lineages of shame, intergenerational lineages of shame, to stop us from going for help, going to say to another coach or a counselor or you know, somebody who does experiential therapy or a Reiki practitioner, whomever, whatever, whatever our jam is, whatever works for us to get us a result, going and saying, I'm stuck here and I need help. Because when you are that person that is ostensibly positioned to give answers, to bring answers or insight or wisdom or strategies or you know, sort of wise, insightful strategies to your clients, and you find that you don't have the answers for yourself, it is very easy to fall into the quicksand of imposter syndrome, right? So I've grappled with that you know, myself in the last you know, year and a half after losing my wife, after being through her year and a half long cancer journey, 
and, and being left as a solo parent of two very young dependent children, you know, my narrative was, I can't possibly, you know, I, I'm, I'm less than I was. I can't possibly deliver the results to my clients that I used to deliver, even though I had proof of the opposite. And I just had to get underneath it. Justin, I just, like I had, I had a helpful friend say to me, Aaron, it's not that you're less than you were. It's just that the bandwidth that you have is distributed differently now. It's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. That was, that was a kindness. And then the other piece of it was looking at, I, I came to realize that I had a story I didn't know I had, right? And this was through, you know, doing my own work, but also talking with the person that I go to for counseling and just talking it through with her and naming the pieces that I had found through journaling, through reflection, through meditation, using the tools that I've developed over 15 years of, as a coach, but also it's 20, 20 years as a, as a spiritual practice and energy work. And, and talking it through with her and then going, oh my God, I just nailed it. She said, what? I said, I orient strongly as a leader, as a coach, as a teacher. And I believe that leaders shouldn't need help. And I didn't know I believed that, Justin. I didn't know that I believed that a leader shouldn't need help, that a leader shouldn't need support ever. And I have needed a lot of support and a lot of help from our community and our friends as we've gone through and continue to go through this transition. And when I, when I uncovered that belief, I was like, okay, where does that belief come from? And then I was able to identify some family lineages. And when in my early development did I make that decision that not needing help, that not needing support was freedom, right? That that, that, that somehow would me getting, me, be me getting free, right? And it was a very old story that went way back in my early development because that's something about the key decisions that we make that lead to the beliefs that we have that we often don't know that we have, that we run up against in these moments where imposter syndrome walks in the room and we're choking on discomfort or shame and feeling stuck and not being able to find a way out or find, find that, that tunnel, that light at the end of the tunnel and we're turning and turning. It's like we're in a rabbit's war and we can't find our way out. The opportunity that comes with the uncomfortable recognition that we are grappling with, choking on, suffocating on imposter syndrome is, okay, where did this come from? What, what do I believe that I don't know that I'm holding in my unconscious awareness? that has, is colliding, the unconscious belief is colliding with reality now, and it's painful. But when past and present collide like that, it offers us an opportunity to heal both, to identify those root causes, right? And to do the growth and healing work that we need to do to get out of the rabbit's warren, to find the light at the end of the tunnel and to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we, work on these problems, uh, a lot of people don't really realize. And, and in the work that I do, uh, probably much like you do, uh, I spend a copious amount of time uh, pre 10 years of age. Uh, and the reason why I spend that much time is because, you know, I believe that, you know, as children, um, you know, we are sponges to the world. So we are absorbing and taking in all the data points. We have very little critical thinking at that moment. We just take in and we believe and we, and we understand the world through whatever it is that we are, you know, putting the goggles on 
that's in front of us at that moment, whether it's uh, stressful relationships with our family, our teachers, uh, you know, the things that we experience, hot, cold, whatever it is, uh, all the associations are so rooted into us. And that's where our stories exist. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and the work that I do, I might help you uncover some of those core values, things that you may have buried, not even understand, not even know how to differentiate like the subtleties in, in, in the vocabulary. Uh, and, and my job after that isn't to carry on that, but that's somebody uh, that, that I would say refer to you or refer to uh, other people, other coaches who deal with the, um, the, the psychological aspect of that. I might be able to unearth it. I, I can build the systems around it as a business coach. Mm -hmm. And that's my specialty. You know, my, for those people who've come to see me, you know, who might be listening to this podcast, you know, you'll, they'll quickly realize this. I have some tools, but I'm not armed to deal with the psychological trauma and how to overcome them. I can tell you that they exist where they exist and how they manifest in your life, the double-edged sword, every core value has a double edge to it. Um, there's the pros and the cons. And I, at that point, help you build those systems out for, you know, uncover as you uncover and you work through your own stuff, um, these systems will be in place to make sure that you have the fail safe ahead uh, for the other half of that sword. Uh, and that's what makes, you know, that work so powerful is, is that we, we build, you know, that infrastructure. But people need to take that to the next level. That they need to take the emotional, um, you know, trauma. Trauma is a, is not the right word for it because you know I think there there are parts of the happiness spectrum that is in there as well. And you know the things that bring you joy is equally as powerful as the thing you know that bring you fear and and loathing and hate. Um, you know, I, I know as coaches we don't necessarily focus on the. The, the good part, we have a negativity bias. I think as humans, we all have negativity bias in that sense of the word. Um, but people really need to stop and they need to take a, a look at themselves. Uh, and I think, you know, when you were talking about journaling in your own personal journey, that is so, so important. I mean, you know, journaling is a moment for you to really focus and mm -hmm. think about yourself for that, you know, five minutes, whatever it takes for you to be present with yourself and your emotions uh, so that you can start to look at patterns because humans are pattern beings and everything starts to show up when you have enough data points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now yeah, and we've, we've got good research on that, Justin, that people who journal, particularly if you journal cursively, because if you write cursively as opposed to typing your journal, you're more likely to remember what you wrote. Mm. There's good research that shows us that people who journal either way, typing or writing, spot patterns in their own lives much faster and independent from other work than people who do not journal. So there's, if you're gonna pick one thing to add in as an entrepreneur to your journey so that you're growing along, you're growing as an individual, your personal growth journey is matching if not exceeding your business growth. We talk about scaling in our businesses and we should and we must, right? And is your personal growth scaled along deliberately with intention on purpose alongside the growth of your business if it's not at a certain point your business may grow beyond you and you're going to hit that point where you're stuck right and then you panic and then you sabotage right or the self-worth kicks in or the imposter syndrome kicks in and that's what that's when the other side of the of that double-edged sword as you said kicks in and so you know if we are doing our work our personal growth work in tandem People say, well, I gotta work on my business right now. I got bills to pay. I got bills to pay too. I get it. Like I've got to work on my business development. And if I know if I'm not doing my personal growth work, right, I'll get hung up. I'll get hung up in my business development at a certain point. 
right? So we need to be able to make space for both. Yep, absolutely. All of our habits have brought us to where we are today. And for us to go to the next level, we have to find the habits that brought us to here mm-hmm. and find the real, remove, install, and practice the new habits. You can't just remove a habit. You have to install something new yes. to replace it, right? That's the most important thing. So anybody who's listening to that. Right, the habit meets a need. And if you don't have an alternative for meeting the same need, you'll default back to the old habit. Absolutely. So in cognizant of time, we're running right up against the, that window and, you know, in the preamble before we started recording the show, you know, I told you this is, uh, this is, it's tough. Some days uh, you and I, I think we could probably chat for hours on this. And, and those people who are listening, you know, if you want Aaron back on the show, you want us to dive deeper into a specific topic, you know, feel free to reach out to me on uh, messenger on Instagram, uh, send me an email to have Aaron back on the show. We can talk about something that, you know, sort of piqued your interest. Because I mean, Erin is a wealth of knowledge, and you know, I'm sure she, her and I can can go at it for for quite some time. But uh, to be cognizant of your time, if you're going back and forth doing a run, whatever, you have 30 minutes here, so we're right up against that. So I'm going to ask my famous question: Is Erin, what is a book or a resource that has deeply impacted your career up until this point? I would. I mean, there's so many. You know, I'm a total like, research dork, so I could list a lot. But I think the best one I could maybe offer your listeners is the Brené Brown's podcast, Dare to Lead and Unlocking Us. And I say that because it's kind of like if, if Brené Brown is reading it, like whoever she's reading and inviting on the show to talk about their stuff, I know I should be reading them. Right. So it's kind of like it's one person, but it's like a gateway to a lot of other people. The people that are influencing her are people that I want to be reading. So I would, I would say, you know, after, you're, after you prioritize uh, Justin's podcast week to week, uh, get on and listen to Unlocking Us and Dare to Lead and, and look at who is Brene Brown interviewing because they're all published authors. They're all people with PhDs and whatnot. And uh, that will give you plenty of night table reading and plenty of, plenty of personal growth to keep you working on your own growth as an individual, as an entrepreneur, as a parent, as a coach, or whatever your industry, in tandem as you scale the growth of your business. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I, too, highly endorse uh, Brene Brown's podcast. Mm -hmm. It is quite amazing. Um, I spend... I'll be honest, I don't spend a ton of time on it. I, I, I kind of binge it at, at, at um, you know, at best, maybe two or three episodes in a, in a row for like a week. And then I might have to take a break because there's a lot of stuff to process. Um, but I mean, definitely it is a, a really great podcast. Uh, I started from, you know, ep- episode one. So I've got quite a long ways to go. I don't, I don't think I'm too, too far ahead. Uh, but I was only introduced to that maybe probably, I'd say about five, Five or, five or so months now, I think, is, is where I sort of leaped into it. So, yeah, lots to catch up on. But thank you. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Aaron. I really did enjoy our chat. I hope you did, too. I hope you enjoyed uh, kind of, you know, I think we only scraped the surface. I don't think we even got anywhere beyond the first inch. But, you know, if, for if those... there's a demand, I'll come back anytime and, uh, and chat with your listeners or do a Q&A. It's always an honor to, to sit down and get to talk to you, Justin. Yeah. And speaking of Q&A, you know, I'm going to put this out for those people who've managed to get to the end of this podcast. You know, something that uh, my social team has kind of thought about is uh, hosting a Q&A either on Instagram or on Clubhouse, uh, where we can just kind of debrief, talk about the topic a little bit more. If that is of interest to you at all, you know, feel free to message me either on Instagram at Tactical Program or uh, Justin at TacticalProgram.com. And, you know, let me know if you want me and Aaron to kind of talk about this episode. Uh, I'm up for it. Uh, 
Uh, I, I don't know if Aaron, I think Aaron's up for it. Um, so if you guys want that, we can schedule it in. We'll give it an announcement. You guys can hop on, ask your questions. Uh, I think it'd be really great for both of us, uh, you know, and, and for all of you, you know, getting getting a chance to to really dig a little bit further into your own personal development and start you on the road of which we both find extremely valuable. So, well, awesome, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, everybody, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Justin. We want to thank you for listening to the Digging Deep Podcast with 360 Media. Your time is valuable, and we're deeply humbled that you are spending this time with us. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at 360photo and at Tactical Titans. You can also email us. We want to make this channel great, something you enjoy and find tons of value in. Send us your insights to info at 360photo.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us reach more listeners. As always, tune in next week as we dig deeper into business and marketing.